Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. Before we go too far this morning, I, I have something that I, I haven't necessarily had to do very often, but last Sunday we were talking about Paul. And we were talking specifically about his letter to the uh, Philippians. And I made a statement that Paul was 6,000 miles away. And I said that I really like geography. What I didn't say is that I, I, I'm not very good at scale. <laughs> and so just to kind of give you guys a peek into what, um, what my process is when I'm doing things like this is I have... A website. For those of you that don't know, I, I'm in IT, and, and I, I rely on technology sometimes, and in this particular instance, we'll see that there's a downside to that. Um, <laughs> I have a site that I use that very specifically tells me how far one location in the world is to another, and, and I put it in, and it said 6,000 miles, and me not necessarily being the globally-minded person that I am said, okay, sure, let's go with that and keep on moving. It has not steered me wrong in all of these years. And so I, I used that, and thankfully, you know, it was brought to my attention that you might want to check your math there. Um, <laughs> and, and so I went back, and I was like, well, maybe I was like, Maybe I was looking at like all of Paul's missionary journeys and like I added it up that way. Like how, how did I get this wrong? And, and so, you know, I went back to my tool and I was testing my tool and still came up with the same number. And so finally I was like, well, obviously if we just type in, you know, Rome to Greece, like what's that distance? And it's like 800 miles. And so I'm like, okay. So obviously something's wrong here, but, but how is this happening, right? And this tool has never failed me. Finally, I clicked on the, uh, the map portion that is like a separate, uh, you know, pop-up, and it didn't fail me. It, it did exactly what it was supposed to do. It, it was telling me the distance from uh, Philippi to Rome, but it was telling me the distance from Philippi, West Virginia to Rome. <laughs> Google! <laughs> So, all of that to say, I was wrong. <laughs> I apologize. I will be more mindful going forward. Um, scale, like I said, is, is maybe not my strong suit, so we're, we're going to improve there. What I can say is today, there were a number of instances and in opportunities to uh, talk about distance that I checked like seven times before I talked about any, <laughs> any distance, any, any quote of, of mileage that was going to come from me today. So um, I'm learning from my mistakes, and uh, thank you again. So this morning, I'm excited that we get to kick off a new uh, study. And it's a study that I, have, I don't know that I've ever done, you know, and I've been preaching here for a while. Um, we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel learned how to stay faithful to God in a culture that was hostile to his faith. He learned how to stay faithful to God in the midst of chaos, in the midst of uncertainty. And as we navigate through 
what is promised persecution in, in his case. We have politicians that are, are completely off the wall. We have uh, predictions that are coming from Daniel of things to come. I mean, we, we look at that and it's not that hard to start drawing parallels to what's happening in our world today. In the midst of all of that, Daniel and, and his three friends that we're going to be talking about, they, they maintained their commitment regardless of the outcome. And the outcomes for them were a little bit more real <laughs> than some of the, the potential outcomes for us. Because a lot of times for us, if us standing up for what we believe in, us standing firm, in some cases, are, are uncomfortable, but in a lot of cases, is they, they might say mean things to me. They, they might treat me differently. They, I might not get that thing that I want to get, whereas the, the cost of Daniel and his friends standing up is a lion's den. The cost of Daniel and his friends standing up for what they believe in is getting thrown into a fiery furnace. I haven't seen too many fiery furnaces in the United States of America today. We're doing okay there still. So, but much like those days, our culture is ever increasingly hostile towards what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And each of us, I don't get to make this choice for you as your pastor, your wife or your husband doesn't get to make that choice or your, your best friend doesn't get to make the choice. Each of us has to make our own choice as to whether or not we are going to stand up in the midst of that chaos, in the midst of that persecution that is coming and that will continue to come or if we'll go with the flow. The, the book of Daniel is an important reminder that even if there is political upheaval, there's, there's political upheaval today. There's political upheaval in this country. There's political upheaval in the world. And we look at what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. We look at what's happening across the globe. There is political upheaval. And even in the, if there is conflict in the world, there's war between nations, God is in control. And in the midst of all of that craziness, I get to choose. Do I trust that God is in control or do I dissolve into worry? Will I and, and will those with me, I mean, we just talked about that he's our firm foundation. He'll never let us down. Will, will I and those with me stand on that firm foundation? Or will I be swayed by the culture and the events that are taking place? The, the first six chapters of the book of Daniel are, are the kind of pastor's bread and butter. Most of the time, pastors will, will cut the book of Daniel in half and say, we're just going to focus on this, <laughs> this first half because I could preach off of the first chap six chapters of Daniel today without really a whole lot of prep. Everybody knows Daniel in the lion's den. Everybody knows the, the exile. Everybody knows uh, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, uh, in the fiery furnace. Those are, those are good standbys that we can come back to. 
it's a little scarier when you get to the second half of the book of Daniel because the second half is less about the prophet and more about the prophecy. And we're starting to talk about future events. And so sometimes pastors are saying, well, maybe we'll just save that for another day. We're going to hit the whole thing, I promise. We, we will get to you the whole thing. My, my model for how I want to be going through these, these verses and these chapters as we go through them is we're going to start by kind of looking at taking a, a discovery of what is in the, the scriptures that we're going to be looking at. And then once we go through that discovery, we're going to look at unpacking what it is that we just what we just found, what, what is happening in the scripture. And then from there, we're going to apply it to ourselves today. And the reason that we need to take this approach, and I, I feel like this is important because it is so easy to look at Old Testament scripture and start just taking it out of context and saying, well, you know, this verse, you know, I'm claiming this verse for me and this, this is applied to me. And, and in many cases that could be true, but in some cases, that verse was just applied to the people of Israel during that time in that moment. And it's important for us to understand context and, and what's coming from that. So we're going to discover, we're going to unpack what it is that we see there, and then we're going to apply it to ourselves. So Daniel 1, 1 through 7 is where we're going to start this morning. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of God in Babylonia, and he put in the, in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. And among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name uh, Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. The, the first thing that we have to notice when we look at, at this scripture is these first two verses. Even though it seems like Nebuchadnezzar has won. Even though it seems like Babylon was victorious. Who gave Israel into their hand? God did. Even in the midst of their, what I'm sure they were feeling like, well, this is pretty dark. This is pretty bleak. Even in that time, God was not away. He was not far from them. God delivered them into the hands of these people. God, why, why would you do that? 
We're your people. We're your chosen people. Why would you do that? You're going to mess up your own reputation if you do that. God says, you guys are doing a fine job messing up my reputation as it stands. (laughs) You guys are messing things up just fine on your own. And I'm willing to allow my reputation to suffer so that you can come back to me. After God's people refused to heed, warning after warning after warning after warning, (laughs) he punishes, he disciplines by allowing the people of Babylon to conquer this nation, to defeat them. I mean, leading up to this exile, and I mentioned in the adult Sunday school class, there's other books that we have to kind of read as we're going through the the book of Daniel because there's these other things that are are happening around it. We have the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, is the guy standing in the middle of the road saying, hey, you should stop doing what you're doing. Bad things are going to happen because you're not stopping this behavior. And everybody said, we don't want to listen to you. Everything's fine. The, the people of Israel specifically neglected uh, Jeremiah's prophecies because the, and they turned to the, the prophets that were telling them the things that they wanted to hear. Those prophets that were saying, everything's fine, don't worry about it. God wants you to, to be healthy. God, God wants you to, to have wealth. God wants everything to be easy for you. Everything's fine. Does that sound like anything today? Yeah. And Jeremiah's out there. I mean, I kind of just picture him being the guy with the sandwich board, you know, that's out in the middle of the road. It's not fine. The end of the world is coming. (laughs) God's patience is running out. In Jeremiah 6, 19, it says, Hear, O earth. Not like, hear this city, hear the entire world. Behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people. The fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words, and as for my law, they have rejected it. I mean, this is Jeremiah bringing the word of God, and God is saying, not just to the local region, he wants the world to know that he needs to discipline his children. And that's what this is. That's exactly what this is. This is Israel getting a spanking. And so King Nebuchadnezzar comes and, and he takes the uh, treasures out of the, the, the treasury in the temple. And he, he takes them back and he places them in, in the treasury to his God. I mean, what is that? That's very, very clearly my God is better than yours. And it's interesting when we start looking at at King Nebuchadnezzar, how how does he approach conquering the people of Israel? See, it wasn't enough just to wipe out a city. It it really wasn't enough just to, to come in and destroy a region is King Nebuchadnezzar was smart. He knew that there were people that, that would come. There were people that would, would rebuild. 
with a, a, a city in ashes, you might think, well, okay, we, we've won. This is, this is victory. But they didn't want to just erase the city from the map. They wanted to erase the people group from the map. And the way that they did that was by assimilating them into their own people group, turning them into their own people. And so that's, I mean, you might think, wow, that, that was really generous of the king to take all of those brightest and smartest young people into his service and to, to feed them and to clothe them and to take care of them. I'm sure they probably thought they were going to, to something really terrible. What does he do? He, he takes the brightest, he removes them from their homes for three to four years. He gives them their food, he gives them their drink, he gives them their books, their education, their culture, their religion, their education, and he puts them back into their surroundings. And you know what's interesting about this? Does that sound like anything else to you? I mean, this is the University of Babylon. Well, Pastor Matt, are you saying we shouldn't send our kids to college? No. <laughs> don't, don't go there. But what I'm saying is our kids have to be like Daniel, where they're able to go out into the world. They're able to stand up and say, no, I know that this is what you're saying. This is the foundation that I'm going to stand on. How many times have you seen kids go away to college, to university, and they don't have that firm foundation, and they are completely destroyed? Second Kings 24, 14. This is the, the other book that's important to follow because this gives us the historical record of what's happening while Daniel and his friends are being taken away. 2 Kings 24, 14 says he carried away all of Jerusalem, he being King Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away all of Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and all the smiths, none remained except for the poorest people. The only people that were left in Jerusalem were the people that weren't worth taking in the, the eyes of, of King Nebuchadnezzar. He took anyone that was going to have any influence on the culture of that group determined to completely and utterly replace it with his own the the best way for the king nebuchadnezzar to uh, defeat the people of israel was to make their god a completely distant memory once that had been accomplished the people of israel would would be completely destroyed. And, and so, again, we, we kind of referenced it. I'm sure that the Israelites that are being marched into this land, I mean, they, they don't necessarily know what's going to happen. Can you imagine having your entire city conquered? I mean, all of the death and the destruction that we know comes with that type of thing. I mean, we've seen enough History Channel documentaries to, to understand what that maybe is like on a very, very small level. They show up in this land as captives and they're not turned into slaves like their forefathers were in Egypt, at least not in the same sense. They're, they show up in this land and they're given nice, nice food. They're given a nice place to stay. And all of a sudden, all of these people are like, well, this could be worse. 
I mean, they, they just marched for hundreds of miles. Marched, maybe rode, in a donkey, rode on a donkey, I don't know. Their expectation was not, couldn't have been that it would have turned out that way. One of the things that's interesting as we, we kind of work through this verse is if you look in verse 7, we see that the servant of the king gives these four young men new names. And it's interesting that we always call Daniel by his name, but we always call the other three by their new names. I didn't really put a lot of time and energy into figuring out why that is, but as I was looking at what these new names mean, that's probably something that needs to change. <laughs> and I don't know how, how we necessarily go about changing that, but if we, we look at these names, it, it's very interesting. So one of the, the things that we've been talking about in this adult Sunday school class is the names of God. And there's some very specific uh, names of God that, that mean certain things. And so one of the kind of abbreviations, if you will, for the name of God is L, E-L. And in El, we see Elohim, El Shaddai, we see Elion. So there's these different names of God that have El in them, kind of like a prefix, you could say. And El is a, a name of God. And so we have Daniel, and that last two letters of his name is El. And Daniel's name means God is my judge. And what does Belteshazzar mean? means Bel protect the king. And Bel was the god that was worshipped in Babylon. So they, they took his name and they erased God from it and substituted it with their own god. If we take Hananiah, Hananiah has I-A-H at the end of his name, and, and that's generally an abbreviation that we see for Yahweh. It's either I-A-H or uh, Y-A-H are, are the, the two abbreviations that we see for Yahweh. And, and Hananiah is Yahweh has shown us favor. And they rename him to Shadrach, which is the command of Aku, which is the, the Babylonian moon god. And we have Michel, and again, we have that E-L at the end of his name. Who is like our God? And they rename him to Meshach, and it's who is like Aku, the, the moon god. And we have Azariah, which I-A-H, again, Yahweh has helped us. And they rename him to Abednego, servant of Nebo, the god of wisdom in Babylon. They take every single name that has any reference to who God is and, and they erase it and they replace it with their own. And what's interesting is if you look in scripture, they never refer to each other as those names. They refer to each other as their given names. And yet, so, again, I, I didn't put much time or energy into figuring out why we have stuck with those new names for those three. Mom, I don't know if you have any 
thought as a, <laughs> I mean, I'm not calling you out. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, in terms of like every Bible story as a kid that you ever hear, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. But as I'm reading these names, why on earth would I want to, refer- it seems almost disrespectful to be referencing them as those names. Shame on us. Names are important. And we see that in that they never referenced each other as those names. So if we unpack this, the exile, the the move of the, the people of Israel to Babylon was God giving his people what they had consistently been asking for. Time after time after time, they had, had tried to distance themselves from God. They had tried to say, God, our ways are better than your ways. We don't need you here. And God said, okay, if you, this is what you want, you can have it. And, you know, this exile is a very clear picture of what hell is. Hell is if I spend my time here on earth choosing to be distanced from God, saying, God, I don't need you involved in my life. I don't need you to have any say. I want to do things my own way. Hell is the consequence of that. Hell is saying, okay, if that's your choice, then this is the consequence that comes with that. Leviticus 26, 39 says, and those of you who are left shall rot away in your enemies' lands because of their iniquity. And also because of the iniquities of their fathers, they shall rot away like them. God was willing for his reputation to suffer in order to sanctify his people. One of the interesting things that we don't normally think about when we think about the exile of the people of Israel to Babylon is that God didn't just use that as a time to touch the people of Israel. God used that as an opportunity to influence and to to reach the, the nation of Babylon as well. In the midst of what appears to be defeat, God is renewing his people. Yes, the the city of Jerusalem is in ashes, but the heart of the people is still strong. As we see Daniel and his three friends, they're still ready to go. And when they arrive in this, this city, it's, okay, this isn't necessarily what we expected, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to change who I am, that I'm going to change and, and conform to this culture and this society. I'm still going to stand up and be, you know, what we today would say, be a, a, a shining beacon for the gospel of Christ. Obviously, that's a little different then. <laughs> they didn't have that yet, but, but that's the same thing. I mean, Babylon had just brought like the greatest mission team possible into their own culture and society. And we're going to see in a couple of weeks when, when Daniel's brought before the king to interpret the dream. Daniel, I, I hear you can interpret this dream. I mean, that's the set-up statement of set-up statements. That would have been Daniel's time to see, why, yes, I can. Watch this. But obviously, he doesn't say that. He says, you know, it has nothing to do with me. 
my God, the same God that you are trying to erase from my own existence is the God who's going to interpret this dream for you. God wants the people of Babylon to follow after him. And that's something that sometimes we, we that's a New Testament idea, right? It, it's so easy to kind of encapsulate those ideas into the New Testament, but the fact of the matter is, through Abraham, all the peoples of the earth were supposed to be blessed and are being blessed through Jesus. But the people of Israel were called to be a blessing to the nations around them. Just because Israel was the chosen people didn't mean that God didn't have a heart for the other nations. God wants the people of Babylon. And so in Jeremiah 29, we, whenever we, we hear about Jeremiah 29, we, we all jump to 29.11, right? We, we like that verse. That's, that's the good verse. God knows the plans he has for me. Let's start at verse four, shall we? <laughs> this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. I love that. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. We're going to come back to that. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Even though God is in the midst of some of the heaviest discipline that the people of Israel have probably seen in a really long time, I still know the plans I have for you. plans to prosper you and not to harm you. You are going to be in that place for a while, so you better get comfortable. Seek the welfare of the city. And the, the immediate like knee-jerk reaction is, but God, they don't follow you. <laughs> they, they haven't chosen you, and God said, yet... Why? You're, you're there. I have placed you there for a reason. Is this kind of starting to maybe... <laughs> <laughs> 
application. We have to come to the same realization that we are living in a land that is not our home. I am finding more and more frequently that the values and the morals that that I hold are not the majority. They're becoming less and less common. Church, my, my home is not the Republican or the Democratic Party. My home is not the latest social media craze. My home is not the entertainment industry and that glamorizes indecency and, and immodesty. I wasn't built for this place. You were not built for this place. I was built for heaven with Jesus. If we want to remain distinct from the culture while making an impact on the culture, we shouldn't try to do it by ourselves. As we we watch and we're gonna see as we go through these next chapters, Daniel didn't do it by himself. Daniel had a a group that was with him and and his three friends that were, were following with him that were saying, yeah, we can do this together. There was accountability. There is integrity that that was being demonstrated. Shouldn't we be supporting one another as we go out into this land to which we've been called to be a blessing? A land that does not want what God wants. As we continue to go through this, this study in the coming weeks. There's some specific points that, that I think we should keep in mind, that we should have kind of on call ready as we, we go through this time, that, that we need to prioritize being together as a family. We need to prioritize whether it's, it's coming together on a Sunday morning, whether it's joining together in the various Bible studies that we have going on, whether it's, it's meeting one-on-one with each other. We need to recognize that we need to support each other because we're exiles in a land that is not our home. We need to commit to intentionality, Striving for, for personal holiness. What, what does that mean for me? What does personal holiness look like? It, it looks like me being in right and healthy relationship with God. It means that, that I'm dedicating time to maintaining that relationship. I should be seeking my city's welfare. What does that look like? That's, that's something for us to be thinking about as we go through this week. What does it look like for us to be seeking our city's welfare? This morning, we're, we're going to be participating in communion. In remembering a sacrifice that was made. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus coming to earth, living a sinless life, 
and dying on a cross for my sin. So that I don't have to be exiled. So that I don't have to live with separation between me and God. That, that I can, can come and approach For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. This is Paul speaking to the the church in Corinth. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's see. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we celebrate we celebrate and we remember we celebrate a a gift that was given an impossible sacrifice that was made God we remember the price of that sacrifice that sacrifice that was completely sufficient. That was able to make a way not just for those that had already come, not just for those that were there today, but that was able to make a way for all of eternity for creation to be redeemed. Jesus Christ, we come in and we thank you for that gift, that undeserved blessing. As we move to our ministry time, if there are specific areas that that you need prayer for, I encourage you to to get up and move around as you need to to those that, that that would be available to pray with you. But if there are areas of your life where you're saying, God, I, I, need, I need guidance on what it means to, to strive for holiness. God, I need you to, to shore up this, this foundation in my life because this is an area where, where I, I don't feel strong. This is an area where, where I, I need you to, to move so that I can stand up and, and proclaim your name in the midst of, of the storms that are coming. If there are, are areas in, in your life that, that you, f- you feel like God is calling you to, to seek the, the welfare of this city and, and you, you want to know what more about those things, then, then let's pray and ask God to, to reveal the, the callings that he has placed on this church. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time, God. We, we ask that you would shape and change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 